0: Please turn also to the New Testament, to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 is our text. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. We are uh, finishing up the series on the Beatitudes. This is the seventh Beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers. So the text is Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. And we will begin reading from verse 3 through verse 12. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let me go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. <clears throat> our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for your abundant blessings upon us. We thank you, Father, for you have given us of your Son, Jesus Christ, that he indeed is the foremost of peacemakers that he is the one who mediated between you and sinful man, that he himself is our peace. And Father, we thank you that he broke down that dividing wall of hostility uh, between, between you and us and between Jew and Gentile. And Father, we thank you that our Lord Jesus indeed reigns supreme. We thank you, Father, The gift of your Holy Spirit, for He is the one who brings peace. Father, we pray that you would grant us this peace in our hearts, that we would be at rest, like a weaned child at rest. And Father, we thank you that with you that there is nothing that we must desire, that we find our joy, our satisfaction, and our completeness in you. Father, we pray. That the gospel would go forward with power today by your Holy Spirit. Uh, guide us in our thoughts. Refine us in our desires. Father, we pray that you might draw your people to yourself. We pray, Father, that any, if any are here who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we pray that you might do a mighty work and renew on us, Father, uh, that we might cling to Jesus for eternal life. We pray, Father, that your Son would be exalted, that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. It doesn't take much to realize how common conflict is. Conflict is everywhere. Everywhere you look, there is this conflict. That this is the natural way. This is the natural man, the carnal man's way to engage in conflict. It is the way of peace that the carnal man does not know. Carnal men seek alliances. And in exchange, they seek favors. When you think about uh, people and they look at the various relationships they have, whether it be family relationships or um ...romantic relationships or friendships. Right? There's, there's a saying... ...the only common denominator... ...to all your failed relationships... ...is you. And perhaps that's the record... ...for some people. That they look back and they're actually... ...the only common thing with all of them. And my hope and prayer is that... ...as you reflect... ...on the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ... ...who is the greatest peacemaker... That you and I would say, wow, what he does is amazing. And I should desire that I would promote that peace also. And perhaps you're asking, "How? what does that peace look like? How can I make peace with others? Well, it's not about uh, deceiving people. It's not about swindling people to convince them that your way is better. And to sweet talk them into things that you desire. So that secretly you get others to serve your agenda. That's not peace. Peace begins within your heart. Peace begins by trusting that God is the one who is your provider. He is your protector. That he is your healer. That our joy and our satisfaction, our completeness is found in him. And... Dealing with the matters of our own hearts. That peace within must exist. There must be a peaceful mindedness. If you and I are going to make peace with others. That first and foremost we have to deal with ourselves. When we look at the Sermon on the Mount here. Here is the greatest sermon ever preached. By the greatest preacher there ever was. Jesus Christ. Jesus who is God. There cannot be a a better sermon that anyone could preach. And there could not be a a more perfect preacher than this man, who is Jesus. That Jesus, of all things, knows the law. He knows the right interpretation of the law. And that these Beatitudes are what set apart God's people from those who are outside. Perhaps we can put it this way. Embracing these Beatitudes, embracing these spiritual truths... ...is what sets apart the sons of God from the sons of Satan. Satan will look at those things and say, I reject all of those things. That's not blessedness. But God's children looks at those things with new hearts and says, those things are all good. Those things I aspire to. Those things I desire. And Jesus is one who shows us the true and the living way that he brings... And that he is the one who opens our eyes when before we were blind. He is the one who unplugs our ears when before we could not hear. And he is the one who gives you and me new hearts. So that we might believe and accept and embrace these things. So the truth that we see in this passage, Matthew 5, 9. Jesus Christ, the ultimate peacemaker, who established your peace with God, calls you to make peace within and without. Jesus Christ, the ultimate peacemaker, who established your peace with God, calls you to make peace within and without. We'll look at this in four points. The first is your primary duty of peace within. Second, your duty of peacemaking without. Third, the divine example of peacemaking. And fourth, the blessing of adoption as God's children. So the first point, the primary duty of peace within... When we look at this list of Beatitudes, realize that they must be connected. The common root is that there is the work of the Spirit. There is the fruit of the Spirit. That all of these things, they hang together or they all fall together. Either they're all good to us. They're all things that we aspire to. Or they're all things that we're going to reject. And just to couple some of these ideas... When we look at the matter of being a peacemaker, notice the connection with these beatitudes. That the pure in heart, that's necessarily linked with being peaceable or being a peacemaker. Then James chapter 3, verse 17, "...but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits." impartial, and sincere. Did you catch how many of the Beatitudes were mentioned there? First, pure. So, uh, pure in heart, peaceable, or the peacemakers, gentle, meaning the meek, open to reason, full of mercy, blessed are the merciful. You see, these things are all coupled. The meek, uh, or the humble in heart, the gentle in demeanor, are those who are willing to yield to others, and do not insist on their own way those who mourn for their own sins are distrustful of their own hearts and their desires. So keep in mind that uh, if we are mourning for our sins, that we're going to be distrustful of our own hearts because we know that the heart is deceptive of all things and desperately wicked. So we don't think about our desires and what we want and say, hey, those are our primary goals. These are our marching orders, our objectives, and we're going to do whatever it takes to fulfill them. No, we're distrustful of our own hearts. And he who mourns for his own sins, distrust of our own hearts, that we're not going to be so quick to point the fingers at others. And these two things, being distrustful of your own hearts and desires, and uh, not being so quick to point fingers at others, even just those two things would be doing much to maintain peace and aid in preventing conflict with others. The merciful recognize their own weakness and sinfulness, and thus their own need for mercy. And so being, they are ready to extend that mercy to others. This is why we're told, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Those who have received mercy from God are ready and eager to extend mercy to others. So when we think about this matter of peacemaking... We have to think first about what it means to have peace within. The peace that the godly possess. As we read in in Psalm 4. The last verse kind of summarizes all the things. And it's the product. So verse 8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So the product of knowing God and loving God and being loved by God. Is that you and I can lie down and sleep, knowing that God is the one who makes us dwell in safety, and because of that, we have peace. So that's the product. It's that God alone is the one who gives us this peace. Is that you and I must trust God that he is able to guard what we've entrusted to him, meaning our very souls. We trust our souls with him, that we can trust him with everything else. But when you look at Psalm 4, think about all the things that lead to peace within your heart. Look at verse 1 there. The godly have peace because you can trust that God gives you relief and is gracious to you. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. That there's someone that we can cry out to. Think for a moment about the carnal man, the one who knows not Jesus Christ, has no mediator. Who can they cry to? They're going to think that they're going to fight, they have to fight tooth and nail for every inch that they can get, for every ounce that they can take. And ultimately, they're asking that question in verse 6. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Oh, you must have some kind of a high-ranking VP or CEO in your company who will help you. You have to have some kind of mayor, governor, or president to give you that pardon, or whatever is the case. They're looking for someone in power to show them some kind of favor. Verse 3, God sets apart the godly for himself, and he hears and answers when you call. Those who have peace within... If you have this peace, it must be because you believe, I can pray to my God, and I trust that he will hear and answer me. That he is the righteous judge. That he searches the heart. He searches your heart. He searches my heart. We must willingly let him in to search our hearts. The godly direct their anger and their agitation away from sin. There in verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. So people, it is possible. It is possible to be angry and not sin. So often, anger is coupled with sin. But we know that it's possible to be angry and not sin because God is angry all the time with, 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 the, uh, with sinners. And that Jesus manifested anger while he was here on earth. And yet he is without sin. So it is possible to be angry and not sin because Jesus is the proof of that. God, God, God is the proof of that. But we're told here, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Meaning, the war that goes on outside of you, so the peace that's lacking without, is the product of the peace that's lacking within. So, in our hearts, there must be some kind of battle, some kind of struggle going on. And that struggle is you attempting to kill and slay the old self. So keeping the old self in check is essential to having that peace. So that when we are angry, that we are not to sin, but rather we're we're to ponder in our own hearts, even on our beds. That we ought to think through the day day that you just had. the, The day, you know... Well, the, the sun had set. We're supposed to think through our day. How did I live my life this day? What were some of the things that I, went through my heart? The evil thoughts that went through my heart. The thoughts of anger. The thoughts of bitterness. The thoughts of, of, uh, of greed and envy and covetousness. and All these things. And it's during that time that we're doing that spiritual inventory of the day. We're asking God to forgive us. For the things that we did, the things that we said, and the things that we thought that were sinful and uncharitable. So that struggle is going on in our hearts. In verse 5, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So many believe, many claim to believe in the sovereignty of God. But the test of your, of your belief in the sovereignty of God is this. The godly are those who do what is right and trust God with the outcome. The godly are those who do what is right and trust God with the outcome. Meaning, God's revealed word says this, I will do it. And even if the result is not immediately in my favor, I'm trusting him with the result. Either you will live this way, or you will live the world's way, which is the ends justify the means. I can do whatever it takes to to obtain an objective. I can set aside whatever law based on the circumstances. It's a very dangerous way to live. You who trust in Jesus Christ ought to do what is right. Do what he says and trust him with the results. Verse 6 Many will ask, Who will show us good? What person is there in power who can show us his favor? All you who are trusting in Jesus Christ, you have the Almighty God that you and I can go to. He is the one who shows us his favor. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. This is why you can have peace, because there is someone, not just in middle management or upper management. But he who controls the wind and the sea, who is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, he is the one who shows you favor. And if you have his favor, you need no one else's favor because he changes the hearts of men. When, because of this, you who are godly may lie down and sleep in peace because you know that God alone. Is the one who makes you to dwell in safety. You don't have to bite, kick, and scream for everything that you can get or that you got. Isaiah 26, 3. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Our trust in our God says, despite the circumstances of what's happening outside, that our lives. Our stability is unchanged. Now, the world has never been a stable place. And call me a pessimist, if you will. But I'm going to tell you, I don't think that three days ago, or two days ago, that suddenly, go leaving 2020 and entering 2021, that suddenly something really amazing changed. It, meaning that we, we talk about... How 2020 was a horrible year. Was it really that bad? I mean, was, was 2019 uh, God's year? The year of our Lord? 2020 is the year of our Lord. 2021 is the year of our Lord. All of these years are controlled by God. All of our lives. All of history. All of the future is controlled by God. And I'm not being a pessimist when I say that the things around us are in flux. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that despite the difficulty that we face, our trust is in Him, our stability is in Him, our peace is in Him. Isaiah 57. Very interesting chapter. Isaiah 57. Look at how this chapter begins and how it ends. It begins by speaking about the righteous... And it ends by speaking about the wicked. And it compares the two of them. And it talks about how there's peace with one. And there's peace lacking with the other. Isaiah 57, 1 and 2. The righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from calamity. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds Who walk in their uprightness. This is what you and I have to look forward to. That despite how good the economy is or how bad, despite the wars going on, the righteous man is taken away from calamity. No matter how good things are, there's calamity in comparison to where he's going. And then he enters into peace, he enters into heaven that precious to God are the death of his saints. But in contrast, the peace that the wicked completely lack, Isaiah 57, 20 and 21. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. See that contrast. The righteous man, despite... Whatever difficulty he faces in his life, and, you know, the last few days or weeks or months of terminal illness, whatever calamity he faces, he will enter into peace. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. But describing the life of the wicked, Isaiah 57, 20 and 21, he's like the tossing of the sea. And God says, there is no peace for the wicked. If you are outside of Christ, you cannot know peace. It is impossible for you to know peace without Christ. We think about this description of this peace within. Those who have peace within have, are peaceable-minded. And they do so because you and I can find our new identity in Jesus Christ. Think for a moment. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have a new life, you have a new identity in Jesus Christ. This means that your identity is not tied to your wealth or your lack of wealth. It's not tied to your accomplishments or your lack of accomplishments. It's not tied to your job or your lack of a job. It's not tied to the clothes you wear or the cars you drive or the houses you own or the titles before your name or the letters after your name. No, I can just keep on going on and on with these things that the world seeks identity in. You think about all the things that are part of our lives, that, that we think define us. you think about all the things that can and will change. Think about, for some of you, you've been married for 40, 50, 60 years. When the Lord should take your spouse, and you're no longer a wife or a husband. Are you still you? The answer is yes. When you get to heaven... That former husband or spouse will be there in heaven and you will no longer be married. But are you still you? The answer is yes. When you have to bury your parents and you're no longer a son or a daughter, are you still you? I look forward to the day in heaven that there will be no title. No one cares what titles we've had here. Even spiritual titles. The most important title is being a son or a daughter of God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. No one cares about the titles in the church. Doesn't matter. Those aren't things of significance in heaven. We We won't think about those things. We won't think about those things as loss. You think about how the difficulties that come up. With a tearing asunder of marriages? Are you still you if you're no longer married? All these things continue on because your identity is in Jesus Christ and you are created a new person. No one else defines you but Jesus Christ. When we think about what it takes to maintain peace within. There must be an all-out war that you have against your old self. When you look at the past, the descriptions were that uh, springtime was called the time of war, probably because people didn't want to freeze their feet off uh, marching 20 miles a day in the snow. So they, they went in the springtime to wage war. And you and I cannot cannot succeed, we cannot do well in the Christian life if we think that there is a season to doing battle against our old self. It must be all the time. It must, be, it must be a full frontal attack against our old self. You think about the things that will rob you of peace within and will trouble you with peace, a lack of peace without. It boils down to the things of the old self that you must wage a violent murder of your own pride. It it, it can't be gentle, it can't be partial, that there must be a violent murder of your pride. That when you think about, well, this person is offending me, offending my pride, what you're saying when you say that and when you think that is this person is a... is going to cause some kind of a conflict from me. That there's going to be a conflict. That's that's what you're telling yourself when you say that. And that you and I must kill that pride. That there must be a willingness to strangle envy and covetousness in your life. Well, you have two cars? Well, that guy has three. Talking to some of these rich men, people... People will ask, "Well, why did you buy 25 cars?" Because my neighbor had 24. <laughs> well, you think about all the cars. That's that's a lot of that's a lot of cars to maintain, right? That's a lot of registrations you have to pay for, right? You think about the boat. The boat. Well, you have the the docking fee and all these things, right? People who make boatloads of money realize that that having a giant hole in your tub, doesn't matter how much water is coming in the tub, right? If you have a hole and multiple holes in the tub, the tub won't be full. Proverbs twenty-eight, twenty-five: A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. How often is it that covetousness and envy of others is what causes strife? That person has some. I want some of that. We must strangle it. Then there's selfishness. That you and I, like the guillotine, have to decapitate that selfishness. When you think about any conflict, how often is it that you and I have become front, middle, center, up, down, bottom, that you and I are central to that conflict? It's about what you and and I want. It's what I want, what I want to obtain. You will do what I want. What is that other than selfishness? Is we only think about what we have to gain. We're not really thinking about what's to be lost. We must decapitate that selfishness. Then you think about the ways that these things happen. How often gossip and slander show up. That there must be an evisceration. You must gut the gossip and slander. Guard your tongue from evil words. You must guard your heart from being eager to receive evil words. That any time this peace is broken, there will come up the matter of slander and gossip. Guard your tongue from evil words. Guard your heart from being ready and eager to receive evil words. If you hear these evil words, the scriptures give commandments. They give instructions that we ought to realize, wait a minute, there's someone who's trying to test my heart here. That there should be willingness. If those things are completely untrue, that you must confirm that. Those things aren't true. This person is upright, honest, trustworthy. That is what I know of this brother or this sister. This changes things. And you think about the scriptures the warning gives. Uh, the, the warning the scripture gives. Titus 3. Warn a factious man once and twice. Romans 16, 17. Turn away from them. Keep an eye on the the factious person, and turn away from them. That these are the things that we ought to do. We ought not to give a foothold to these things in your life, in your heart, in your relationships within the church, in your families. That these rules that God has given us and the guard to our old self and the killing of the old self, that these are essential if you and I are going to have peace with it. So this is the first point, primary duty of peace within. We have the second point, your duty of peacemaking without. Perhaps we should cover what peacemaking is not. <clears throat> peacemaking is not the same as peace faking. Those who follow, you know what, we're going to work for peace at all costs, or we're going to work at peace whatever the consequence. These aren't peacemakers, these are peace fakers. So we're we're going to say, hey, whatever it takes, whatever thing must be sacrificed on that table for peace, we will kill it. There's some concern about that philosophy. What about the concerns for truth, for justice, for righteousness, for mercy? Peacemaking does not mean that your rights must always be sacrificed. If our argument owes always, what about my rights? Okay, there's there's some concern there. We shouldn't constantly be demanding our rights. But someone can't step in and says, You must throw your rights away. That's the requirement of peacemaking. I don't know if that's the right way. It must be something that you willingly give up. It must be something that you would say. I can give it up without resentment. Peacemaking at all costs. You think about the church. If it's a matter of truth. If it's a matter of righteousness. In order to obtain that peace. If we're going to sacrifice righteousness. If we're going to sacrifice truth. You think about how. How lies and liberalism enter the, enter the church is often because people are saying, hey, uh, we need to sacrifice truth in order to obtain this peace. Peacemaking is not mere political alliances. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You think about what happened with Herod and Pilate. That during Christ's trial, Luke 23, that Herod and Pilate were enemies But because of their interaction, dealing with the trial of Jesus Christ, we're told that they became friends. But it wasn't in any way saying that they became good, godly friends, that they merely came up with some kind of political alliance. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. Consider some of the things about peacemaking. That you must be mindful to reconsider ...your peace within... ...and the faithful and good God... ...who grants you this peace within. So, when you start dealing with others... ...you need to think about where your true peace comes from. It's not from gain. It's not from obtaining. It's not from winning. Sometimes in life... ...when you win, you lose. You understand that? If you win, you lose... Think about even arguments with people, whether it be with a dear friend, whether it be with someone that you're trying to share the gospel with. Sometimes when you win an argument, you lose the person. And so also, you think about the battles of life. Sometimes losing is actually winning because God is in control of all things. We think about this turmoil. And we think about the peace within. That God gives. That must be our focus. That God is the one who grants us our peace. No one robs it from you. God gives it to you. Jesus said this peace I give to you. And what Jesus gives no one can take away. So your, your peace is not. Obtaining and gaining. Your peace is what God has given you. Through Jesus Christ. And. And. As you go about your life, since you are not perfect, you and I have to say, God plans our lives in such a way that the details of our lives are used to refine us. God refines you through the conflict and the turmoil. And He is sovereign over all things, every detail of your life. So I ask you, Are you trusting the Lord to be your healer, your defender, and your provider? This is what's giving you peace within, is you're trusting him to be these things. Your healer, your defender, your provider, your sanctifier. Be open to ask yourself this question. What is the Lord teaching me through this conflict, through this struggle? Because God is and intends to refine you in this life. Are you dealing with the log in your own eye? We're told to watch for that. What is the log in our own eye? In any conflict, it's rare, so rare, that someone is 100% wrong and someone is 0% wrong. You understand that? There must be something that you and I can say, we are being refined in. The conflict has taught me this about myself my lack of patience, uh, my lack of charity towards a fellow brother, my inability to see the good in others. These are some of the things that God refines in us through conflict. For peacemaking, are you seeking God's glory or are you seeking your own? That's a big question. Are we seeking merely to advance our own name, our own glory? Or are we seeking to advance God's glory? The question, how will God be glorified in this? Will it be a good testimony to our children and those who follow after us in the faith? And is this a good testimony ...and a godly witness before the fallen world. Well, what will the world think about us? You think about the history of the church. It's going to be so full of conflict and faction and strife. And the world looks back at that and looks into that and says... ...wait a minute, why would we want to step into that? We can get the same stuff out here. And in fact... We prefer our political alliances, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. When you think about the testimony of the church, these are some of the things we think about. Perhaps you and I should even consider First Corinthians 6. The Apostle Paul is addressing the issue of lawsuits within the church where Christians are going before non-Christian judges to take their case. And the Apostle Paul says, hey, listen, the fact that you're willing to do this means that you're saying, I'm thinking nothing about the testimony of Christ and his people before a watching world, before these non-Christian judges. And the Apostle Paul asks them, or challenges them, why not rather be defrauded? Why not rather be wronged? And there, that's the challenge are you thinking in such a way, are you holding to this truth that it is better to be wronged than to wrong someone else? That this is what scripture is telling us. As you and I go through peacemaking and conflict, we ought to be able to say, it's far better that we be wronged than it is to wrong someone else. It's far better to receive a sock in the face than to sock someone else in the face. So that's the second point. Your duty of peacemaking without. We have the third point. The divine example of peacemaking. Here. This is the foundation. For why you and I can have peace within. uh, Inside our hearts. And peace without. Outside of us. Around us. Is that you and I have been given the divine example of peacemaking. We think about peace at all costs. And here, you have Jesus. And it's not just, hey, peace means we sweep all the stuff under the rug and we just don't deal with it. That's not, that's not peacemaking. That's uh, some, form of, some form of ignorance, turning a blind eye. And people ask, well, why couldn't God do that? Why couldn't he just overlook these things and just not think about it? Just put it behind him, not think about it. God's view of peacemaking... Is that there is not cheap grace. Grace from God is exceedingly costly because it cost him the priceless life of his precious son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who came to die in the place of sinners. He died the very death that you and I deserve to die. So that when we we ask, well, what is the prime example of peacemaking? Why should we do it? And we're told, even in God's word, that God is the one who sets the example, the perfect example of peacemaking. He lost so much; he gave up his son so that he might redeem you and I, who are are the damaged, are the broken, the the just for the unjust. It's not merely sleeping things under the rug. Romans three twenty six it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Did God maintain justice? He did. That he is the one who is just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. Justice was fully satisfied by the price paid by Jesus, his son. That When you and I think about our sins and the infinite cost and payment that are required, you and I can say, Jesus paid it all. He paid it all uh, for, for sinners who are unworthy. What about the guilt of sin? Jesus removed that guilt. He was that scapegoat for us. He was the one, hands laid on him. He takes it far away. And what about sins? Sin was paid in full on the cross and is being cleansed from your life. It's paid in full. Think about the instruction that God has given us. First Corinthians 7, about the uh, believing wife with the unbelieving husband who desires to leave. And the Apostle Paul gives the instruction, okay, well... If the unbelieving man wishes to stay with his believing wife, then she should remain with him. She shouldn't divorce him simply because he's not a believer. He desires to stay, desires to be faithful to this marriage. Let them remain. But then it says if he desires to leave, that she can't just try to, you know, hop on his back and tackle him to the ground. He says instead, God has called us to peace. That you and I actually have a calling. That we would live in peace. We're never called to strife. God calls us to peace. Our elder Wayne read early in Romans 12. Verse 18. As much as it depends on you. Live at peace with all men. That we should desire to live peaceably with others. That we should never try to foment strife. That we should try to do what is Peaceful. That we should try to do what promotes peace. And I realize that in the limitation of this sermon, we can't cover all of those things. But that's the overarching principle that we should desire to do what we can to live at peace with others. That we should consider the views of others. That we should think not only of our own needs, but we should think about the needs of others. Try to think about things from the perspective of someone else. Oh, we ought to follow Christ's example as you and I have come to understand Jesus, who is that perfect peacemaker that we might say, that is amazing what he has done. What he has brought to my life has given me such joy and gladness that I should desire that others would be refined, that others would come to understand the peace that only God gives. That This is part of peacemaking. Is telling others about the peace that you have in Jesus Christ. And that was the third point, divine example of peacemaking. We have the fourth point, the blessing of adoption as God's children. The blessing of adoption as God's children. So those who are peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That those who have come to understand the perfect work of Jesus Christ as a peacemaker, that you've understood that. You will follow it. You will desire it. You will desire it for yourself. You will desire it for others. And in so doing, this demonstrates that you are sons and daughters of our living God. Men are naturally children of the devil. And we're told that you were dead in your offenses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, Of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That men are naturally children of the devil. There's only two possibilities. Children of God. Children of the devil. This is what God has called us from. And the sons of Satan. Love discord. Factions. Enmity. And strife. But God is one. Who is a God of peace. And he promises his peace. He gives you his peace. And he adopts. Sons and daughters unto his own. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. That by faith you are brought into his family. And that here we need to stop and think about the message about becoming children of God. You and I who are rebels that we might become children. This is an amazing thing. First John 3, 1 John 3.1 See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And that is what we are. He needs to come back and says, and you are children of God by faith. This is an amazing thing that we who are once rebels can be adopted as sons and daughters. And what you receive in adoption, you receive a new name. Think about Peter. You think about Jacob. That some of these situations where God actually gave people new names, where well, you and I have a new name in Jesus Christ, that we have a new claim, that we're part of a new family, that there is a new inheritance. You think about how bad it would be if uh, if there is an inheritance in your family and it gets squandered by your your parents or. Or that you get disowned and it gets taken away from you. Well, we're told that being adopted sons and daughters, that we have an inheritance in heaven that is waiting for us. Kept in heaven for you. And also, as adopted sons, you have new roles as peacemakers. That you ought to believe That you ought to tell others about this glorious news. That Jesus indeed is the ultimate peacemaker. And that he makes peace between God and man. And that as his sons and daughters we might share this good news with others. That sinners can be adopted as sons and daughters of the great and the true and living God. That this is true joy. being, Being children of God. Having all that peace and joy and extending it to others and knowing that the inheritance that we have in heaven, it is secure for us. That we will possess it and that we will be with the Lord Jesus for eternity. Let me go to our God together. right